At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Rob Longo. Hi, friends, and welcome to today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of the Charlotte Hornets, presented by Senta. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates are the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care providers of the Hornets. Rob Longo with you today. It is a game day edition of the Hornets Hivecast. It seems like we just did this the other day, but the Hornets are taking on the Washington Wizards. This time, it is in the capital city in our nation's capital, of course, taking on the Wizards and what should be a pretty good one tonight. The Hornets try to get back on track following a 115-105 loss to the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta on Saturday night. To help me break this one down is Sam Perley, the lead writer of Hornets.com. And of course, we got some other topics we have to get to as well. New Muggsy Bogues documentary debuted on NBA TV Saturday night, ironically after the Hornets-Hawks game. And then we've got some catching up to do with Sam Perley. And he's had some really interesting articles, some things that you don't really initially think of as a sports fan in general, an NBA fan in in general, but some interesting pieces that we will get to here in a few minutes. But Sam, kind of a long time to talk, but thanks again for joining me here on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Rob, I'm always happy to talk Hornets hoops, and thank you again for having me. It is a pleasure as always. So let's go ahead and start with the Muggsy Bogues documentary. It aired on Saturday on NBA TV. It's officially titled Muggsy Always Believe, and it's, of course, about Muggsy Bogues. An interesting story, I think, you know, if you're a Hornets fan, whether it's past, present, or you know you've just been following the team ever since the Lamelo Ball days, more or less. I think you kind of have an idea of who Muggsy Bogues is. I mean, just an interesting story in general. The shortest player in NBA history. Obviously, I wasn't privy to watch him growing up here in Charlotte. There's just so much that Muggsy means to the city. Sam, you know, you're Queen City born and raised. You're kind of the unofficial Hornets historian, as I like to call you. But you know, what is some of the things that the documentary aside? What are some of the things that Muggsy means to this franchise and this team and the city. Before I get going, quick disclaimer, I was raised in Charlotte. However, I was born in New Hampshire for 
Memphis, and I lived there for two years, but most of my entire life has been in Charlotte. You're born and raised, as far as I'm concerned, for the sake of the argument. Okay. Continue. For the, for the sake of this argument, yes. So now that we've got that out of the way, back to the original question. Yeah, you know, I think Muggsy, more maybe than any other player during that 90s classic era of the Hornets, was just kind of symbolic of that just really kind of new, different, stylistic kind of, you know, you had the, the throwback jackets and the colors and the pinstripe jerseys and the core and everything. And I think it was just, he was kind of the face of that. You know, it was something different. It was something new. And, you know, the NBA had never seen a player that was five foot three in the league, let alone thrive to the level he did. I think he finished, I think, something like 9,000 assists in his career, just thousands of steals. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me necessarily, but, um, and he was just so fun to watch on the court. I mean, if you watch the documentary, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It still kind of boggles your mind the way he was able to kind of leverage around guys and get steals and kind of get up court and you know, how good he was with his passing. I mean, it's a, he's a player that will never be, I think his impact will never necessarily be duplicated, but hopefully for the sake of, you know, what's trying to inspire people and things, it will be replicated. But he was just awesome. I mean, just everything about it was awesome. And you can see how popular he is even now, 25 years after he last played in Charlotte, and how popular is these Hornets events and games and things like that. You bring up a good point there, Sam, is one of the things that I recall watching the trailer to the documentary was there was a sit-down interview with Del Curry and, of course, who played with Muggsy Bugs for all those years here in Charlotte. But there was an instance where it was the end of the game situation. Muggsy comes out of the huddle, and there's this play call, and Muggsy goes, that play's not going to work. And he tells Dell, kind of, go to the corner, I'll find you. And sure enough, Muggsy kind of drives the lane, draws two people, and then kicks it to Dell. That, to me, right there, in a nutshell, just shows the kind of IQ that Muggsy Bogues had. Because, obviously, when you're of that stature that Muggsy Bogues was, you know, you're not going to be a 7 foot guy that's going to be able to just outmuscle and outwork people. You have to find your own little niche to be successful in a game that is full of people that are just above average height when Muggsy was obviously below average height. So, you know, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I even saw that kind of encapsulates the kind of player that Muggsy has. But beyond more than that, I mean, Muggsy is just a great person in the community here in Charlotte, and he still does work for Hornet Sports and Entertainment to this day doing some outreach in the community. And just real quick, looking at his numbers, because I was, I was curious, over almost 7,000, this is for his career, so he did play a little bit after Charlotte with the Warriors and the Raptors, and also started his career with the Bullets, but 7,000 points, he had finished with almost 7,000 assists. 1300 or 1400 steals he shot 46% from his career and he was a five foot three shooter I mean that's that's just crazy to me but yeah he, he did a lot of outreach still kind of really really involved he did a lot of you know training and coaching too I think he got coached in the WNBA for the sting for a little bit um, I always remember I grew up actually in the same neighborhood as him in Providence Plantation down in South Charlotte and one of the things was that was always the house people wanted to go to when you're a young kid go to for trick-or-treating because he never gave out candy it was always autograph basketball cards. I mean, just kind of kids would just go through and he'd just sign them and take off, sign them and take off. So that was always a really cool memory. And that just made him so popular. Was, you know, he was approachable. And you, you kind of see the sensation with a lot of kids today with Steph Curry. I mean, it, it gave, it was the more you could relate to an NBA player, the more popular he became. Hey, this guy's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's making it work. And, you know, it, it's probably impossible to ever measure how many kids drew inspiration from Muggsy Bogues in some capacity, whether it's because of his height or whether because of his will or his heart or things like that. It's His influence is, is, a, is just almost impossible to measure because I think it's just so widespread. So um, 
awesome. And I think if, if you enjoyed the Muggsy documentary, another one for you, kind of along the same lines, was a couple years ago with ESPN. He was part of one called the Baltimore Boys. It was a 30 for 30 that him, Reggie Williams, uh, the late Reggie Lewis, David Wingate all grew up and went to the same high school in Baltimore and sort of their upbringing and how a lot of them went on to really successful careers. So uh, if you like that, that one, if you like the Muggsy, that's another good one to turn to because it expands a little bit more on his pre-basketball or pre-NBA career, I should say. Pretty cool stuff indeed. And with that said, Sam, after you told me that story, how many signed Muggsy Bogues cards do you have from your accumulation over the years trick-or-treating at his house? You know what? I think I, you know, it's one of those things like all the basketball cards and stuff, aren't they all, they all get sold or tossed by your mom. If you, if you get, I'm not blaming my mom necessarily, but I think they kind of got lost. And I remember a couple of times we would go and it'd be raining and you try and, you know, it'd be drizzling and get the card and you got to kind of cover it to make sure the ink doesn't smear. And so I remember we had a couple of Halloweens where, where that was the case. So you didn't know whether the autograph was still good or not, and you had to kind of take it home and blow dry and things like that. So I don't have any, I don't think, but I will have to get back to you on that. Hopefully I can dig up one out in storage or something like that. Oh, they got to be some relics from a year's past. But Muggsy Bo's just a great guy, an inspiration all around, who kind of defied the odds for a 14-year career in the NBA. Once again, it aired Saturday. Muggsy Always Believe it was on NBA TV. I'm sure you'll be able to find it at some point in case you didn't get to DVR it. Coming up next though sam pearly he is a hard worker ladies and gentlemen i will vouch for him he's been tracking down several stories that have really piqued my interest and we'll kind of talk about all those next right here on the hornets hivecast brought to you by senta i could have gotten my hearing aids anywhere but going to a doctor who could find a set that fit my lifestyle was a good idea music sounds as clear now as when i listen to it on cassette tapes Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates offers a wide variety of hearing aids. With affordable pricing and credit options, our patients can find hearing care that is right for them. Hear like you once did. Call 704-295-3000 to schedule an appointment. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. They just make sense. Rob Longo and Sam Perley on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Perley, of course, the lead writer at Hornets.com. And Sam has been just churning out some great content. I have, as a former uh, newspaper person, I still believe very strongly in the written word. You know, pictures and, and videos are all well and dandy, but I still love getting my information from print. So it's great to see Sam churning out some of these great articles. He has had a couple of really good ones in the last uh, week or so. Let's begin with this one one that kind of sheds the light on Miles Bridges and a couple of other Hornets players. It's titled The Unorthodoxness of Lefty Heavy Hornets. So obviously there's not that many left-handed people in the world, really, Sam, but you know, it's interesting on how many there are on the Hornets roster. Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre, Vernon Carey, JT Thor. I'm interested to get your thought process of this story idea. Was it something that you just recognized that, you know, Miles is probably the most prominent lefty on the team? And then of course Kelly Oubre coming into the fold this season. JT Thor, a new draft pick. We didn't see a whole lot of Vernon Carey last season as well. So it's kind of one of those things that might get lost in the shuffle, but what was kind of your thought process and how did you kind of come about gaining the information for this story? I think it uh, kind of started back in maybe closer to training camp when we when we signed Kelly Oubre and then it was JT Thor and said, we have four lefties out of 15 guys on the team. So that's 33%. And you kind of know the general population is about 10%. So obviously that's kind of a huge difference. And I started kind of poking around a little bit more and seeing which teams. And I kind of wanted to wait to get some more uh, I think data this year of who, where guys were in the league that were left-handed. There's not necessarily a database 
of strictly lefties, you can look it up in StatHead's website and you can filter it to left-handed shooters. But I want to kind of see where things were this year. But I just thought it was different. I thought it was interesting. I've always known, you know, watching in baseball, obviously the lefty pitcher versus the righty pitcher, is, there's a big difference in terms of which side the hitter's batting. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of lefty quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, why is that? And I just, it was just one of those things that the more I kind of poked at it, the more kind of curious it got. And I think it didn't have an official total. I think there was only one other team in the league. It was the Clippers that have more lefty shooters, and they have four plus one two-way if you want to count that. So I just thought it was really interesting. I just thought, you know, it's something different that hadn't been explored, and I was curious just to kind of see everyone's viewpoints on it. I think one of the most interesting things was that Miles, you know, people use the term ambidextrous a lot, but technically it's what it's called is cross dominant. So Miles shoots with his left hand and does pretty much everything else with his right hand. He's right-handed writer, right-handed eater, things like that. He just shoots with his left hand. And the story being that he broke his arm when he was six, started shooting with his left and never went back. Kelly Oubre, natural lefty, but does a couple things righty. JT Thor, same thing too. So it's kind of funny. I found it interesting the way some guys kind of became lefty shooters and they're not all totally one side or the other so and I think that gives them a little bit of an advantage you know you get to the NBA and you start using both sides a little bit more obviously you stick with your primary side to jump shoot but the more comfortable you are using both sides for whichever walks of life I think the better basketball player you can become and I think we've seen a lot of that from Miles Bridges this year so just something a little bit different that I thought you know kind of poked around a little bit more and I think I was really happy with how it came out and thank you again for your for your kind feedback on it as well well I might have a little bit of bias in it because I am left-handed and I guess I can consider myself cross-dominant because like Miles Bridges I broke my left arm at a very young age so I had to learn how to do some stuff right-handed so that's probably where the similarities between Miles Bridges and I end um, but it's uh, it's still a, a really good read so I will refer to myself as cross-dominant because the running mm-hmm. joke when I was in grad school when we play pickup basketball was I had no right hand, which is uh, still sadly the same to this day. So, you know, everybody would say, I would get the ball in a post and everybody would say, he's going left, he's going left. And, you know, sure enough, I was definitely going left. But the one quote I really enjoyed in this was you asked James Borrego about this at a press conference I remember I was sitting at and you asked him about the lefties and he kind of smirked about it. He goes, yeah, I noticed that. And then he goes, we've got some lefties around here. They're unorthodox, the lefties. Like, it's kind of like a derogatory term, it seems like. But the lefties I've coached are different. They have been some teams throughout the league that have had a lot. I think there was a Miami Heat team recently that had a lot of lefties. We don't change Mm -hmm. a whole lot. I have to run some more stuff on that side of the ball. It's a little bit stranger than dealing with the right-handers. Strange guys, those lefties. So once again, another shot from, you know, across the bow from JB. But at any rate, I thought that was interesting just because what changes when you have a left-hand shooter? Because to me, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot. The thing that I hear the most is that when you go out to defend a left-handed shooter, is you have to put your opposite hand up because that's where they're going to release the ball from. But according to James Brago, it seems like there's just more There's more to that based on that quote. Yeah, it's a little bit different. You Like you said, I think the defending it is a little bit different because if you're facing somebody that's left-handed, I've got to challenge you with my left hand because it's going to be on the same side. Are you just going to have to... It's part of the scouting report, too. They review it. Who's an opposing left-handed shooter? Okay, make sure when you're closing out that this is the side you want to go to. So there's little bits, and I think I found out i don't know if there's any like real correlation for but i think it was something like two percent lefty shot two percent better from the field last year in the nba and then over the last five years it's about a half percent different but i also made the joke that it's not exactly like you can switch at this point the only example i found was 
Tristan Thompson switched his shooting hand, I think, in like 2013. He was actually a lefty shooter, switched to righty, and he's never, I guess, really become much of a jump shooter anyways. But it did help his free throw percentage to jump nine points between the 2013 and 2014 season. So, And then I think with just kind of running the play calls a little bit, I would kind of compare it to a quarterback. You know, if you're a quarterback and you're a righty quarterback, you can run right and throw on the on the run. If you're lefty, you're going to run left and throw on the run. But it's hard for a right-handed quarterback to run left because – you're running away and then you got to stop square your shoulders point your shoulder or square your feet point your shoulders and throw so that's the best way I didn't really go into too deep in terms of running stuff on the side of the floor but naturally I think if you're running anything for Kelly it's going to have to be more towards the left side miles more towards the left side it'd be hard for them to run to the right considering the way they shoot from the lefty it's just kind of an unnatural motion in terms of they'd have to stop square themselves up it just takes too much time. So there's a lot to go into it, and I, I found myself kind of looking around and looking at play calls and teams a little bit more just with the lefty shooters when they've got the ball and how they kind of adjust on the fly. But it's not like it's anything new for them at this point in their careers. The other article that Sam recently came out with is titled, Who's in Charge? The answer is Cody Martin, and it the title kind of gives it away a little bit. The scene setter on this story, Sam, by the way, was great. I mean, you talk about the Brooklyn game early on in the season where Cody Martin was able to draw back-to-back charges against James Harden. Harden picked up his fourth and fifth foul, had to go to the bench, and it was just an absolute momentum killer, and that's what Cody mentioned in the article. He said that charges are momentum killers for the team, and Cody Martin is just so good at drawing those charges and you also referenced Terry Rozier in there as well who is surprisingly one of the players that draws more charges than normal as well but when you were doing this research it was really interesting to me Sam is that these kind of stats have not really been around a whole lot I think it was only mentioned in the article six years ago is when the NBA started to track these so-called hustle stats so I thought that was really interesting and you know this is some new raw data that a lot of people haven't really taken a deep look at a whole lot but you know we saw it a lot in the game Saturday really that the Hornets got called for a couple of offensive fouls and kind of seemed to deflate them a few times so like Cody Martin mentioned in the piece these can definitely be some momentum killers yeah I just checked again he's still tied for second in the league I think Blake Griffin is up there with uh still leading the league with 12 the last time I looked Cody's now at eight but yeah you know that that play from the Nets game kind of stuck with me a little bit or I guess the two plays because it really I mean it bumped the lead from four up to eight and harden to the bench. I mean, I think that was kind of really the big swing. Is it just, you know, it, it's crazy how little stuff like that, you know, he talked about it allows you to kind of walk back and catch your breath a little bit without having to take a time out or sub anybody out or anything like that. And I, there's much more of an art to it or art or skills to it. It's not just kind of running in a guy's path and falling down. You know, the NBA has kind of tightened up this a little bit this year. They've kind of, you know, made it so you can't necessarily just run into a guy's path and get blown blown back and then it's an instant charge. So, you know, Cody talked a lot about how there's, you know, if I can't get there sometimes, sometimes I'll fake it and then even that will kind of make guys adjust or, you know, kind of the, he's, I think, a little bit more well-known for his off-the-ball charges. So kind of the traditional where guys kind of running down the lane and goes right into him and knocks him back. I think Terry, who actually led the team last year, tied with Caleb Martin, was kind of surprised. He did not think he took that many charges, and he said a lot of his might have been on the ball, whether it's a guy hit a moving screen or something like that. So um, definitely some good stuff. I mean, it's just one of those things that's, you know, it's no different than I think than a, than a steal. And we're forcing a turnover. You know, if you look at it that way, I know it's not necessarily a live ball 
turnover or anything like that, but that's what it is. You're generating a steal or a turnover for the other team, and that's that's kind of how I looked at it. So I love monitoring these hustle stats. I'm a, I'm a self-admitted nerd about it. Charges, the contested shots, loose balls, deflections, screen assists, all of it. I, I find it very fascinating just kind of the impact guys can make in areas and in stats and things like that that don't necessarily come up points, rebounds, assists, steals, things of that nature. All this great work you can find on Hornets.com. And Sam, can you give us any sort of sneak peek about what you're looking to get done in the future? What are some of the stories that we can take a look at, these more featurey stories, as I call them, that I just enjoy reading? So we'll do a small plug here. I'm working on something hopefully this week, hopefully be tomorrow or Wednesday, talking to LaMelo Ball and James Borrego and others about LaMelo's steel generating ability i think a lot of his attention has gone to the scoring it's gone to the rebound it's gone to the assist which is all rightful you know we love his his visions and his passing and things like that but i've always been i've lately become really fascinated with how he's able to kind of read defenses and read inbounds passes and get those tip passes and kind of knock them up to himself or knock them to somebody else and then it starts a fast break so kind of looking at how he's able to kind of generate all those i call them the tip, the tip passes just kind of knocks them up in the air makes it 50 50 ball and is coming down with it. It kind of reminds me a little bit more of a of cornerback or a safety in football than he does basketball players sometimes. So hopefully this week, and hopefully you and everyone else will enjoy it as much as some of the other ones. So again, thank you for your, your feedback. I really appreciate it. Sam Purley of Hornets.com has got one more segment with us, but in the meantime, you can check out all of his great writing at Hornets.com, both game recaps, features, previews, anything you could think of. Sam Purley is the man. There's a reason we call him the pen around here at Hornets Sports and Entertainment. Coming up, we got a game tonight. The Hornets are in Washington to face the Wizards. Should be a good one. Sam and I will preview that one next here on the HHC, all presented by Senta. Hornets fans, it's time to get some new gear. The best selection of new and classic Hornets apparel is at the Hornets Fan Shop, now with new extended hours. Stop by Spectrum Center Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. to pick up the latest in jerseys, Jordans, and more. Or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 with just a click of a button at HornetsFanshop.com. An easy trip on the light rail, you'll be sure to find something for everyone at the Hornets Fan Shop. It's a game day edition of the Hornets Hivecast here, presented by Santa Rob Longo and Sam Purley of Hornets.com with you here today, getting you set for this action. And Sam, it feels like it was just yesterday that the Hornets took on Washington, mostly because it was just a few games ago, the Hornets were able to take down the, at the time, the conference-leading Wizards here at Spectrum Center. It was a really good game. The Hornets led it almost, not quite wire to wire, but they were definitely the more dominant team, especially, of course, in the second half as what we've seen so far this season. Since then, things have been pretty even for the most part. Of course, the Hornets did win Friday night against Indiana, fell on the road the second night of a back-to-back against Atlanta at the same time. The schedule for the Wizards was really interesting. Washington had to go after the Hornets game and play the second night of a back-to-back in Miami. They lost to the Heat, but then Washington went back to D.C. 
took on Miami on Saturday night and won that one 103 to 100. The Wizards were down 16 at one point in the third quarter, came back and won that game. Bam Adebayo, in fact, had a chance at a last second heave. Probably wouldn't have counted because it was a missed foul shot with six tenths of a second left. He grabbed the ball and chucked it. It hit the back iron on the other side. Probably, like I said, would not have counted, but it was really neat to see either way. But in that game, Bradley Beal had a team high 21 points. Spencer did win. He had 16 points. Catavius Caldwell Pope had 16. Montrose Harrell had 13 off the bench as well. So some contributions up and down the lineup for the Wizards, which is something that we did not see Washington do on Wednesday here at Spectrum Center. In fact, the Wizards were just god awful from beyond the arc, and that was part of the reason why the Hornets were able to pick up that victory at the Hive to extend that winning streak to four games at that point. But Sam, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in this matchup tonight against the Wizards? Just a few days later from that matchup. Like you said, I think they did an excellent job kind of taking Spencer Dinwiddie out of the game. He finished with zero points. Caldwell Pope had three points. Uh, Kyle Kuzma had five. So that right there, there's three stars that combined for just eight points. What kind of kept Washington in that one until midway through the third quarter, This the first game against the Hornets last Wednesday, was the play of Daniel Gafford and, and Montrezl Hale. They combined for 35 points off the bench on one was nine of 12. The other one was six of nine shooting. So very, very efficient. How about Denny Obdiak? was really good too in terms of on the defensive side brad beal made a couple late shots and kind of got going a little bit he was coming off a two-game absence at the time and kind of kept the wizards within striking distance and then the hornets just kind of put together a few shots at the end i think terry had a couple big buckets to kind of put him away so i'm really looking at that center position i think you got to kind of keep gafford and harrell i think they they're kind of the you know they're two starting caliber centers that the Wizards are lucky enough to have in their front court right now. So that's what I'm going to be looking at. Hopefully the Hornets, the defense, obviously holding the team to 87 points is tremendous. I think a lot of that was defensive effort. I think a lot of it too. Wizards just missed a lot of shots that game they normally make. I mean, they finished 8 of 42 from three point. You have to think that's going to kind of bounce back a little bit. They're going to be back on their home court. They're coming off a big win over the Heat. So this should be a good one. Just because the Hornets took care of business last Wednesday, I think the Wizards are going to come back and and give them their best shot up in D.C. on their home court. The Wizards definitely bounced back in a big way in that game Saturday against Miami. Went 20-23 from the foul line. Shot a little bit better from three-point land, about 37%, and then shot 48% from the floor in general. So definitely better shooting percentages than the Wizards had at the Hive here Wednesday night. In terms of this one, Sam... There's a couple of factors that get involved in it. A, the Hornets continue to be on the road. They haven't been home since that Indiana game on Friday. So a little bit of a road trip that can kind of wear and tear on you a little bit, especially after a back-to-back. So I guess the good news is the Hornets were able to rest on the plane ride up to D.C. yesterday. But at the same time, too, Sam, how difficult is it to also win on the road and beat a team for the second time in less than a week with things just haven't changed? They haven't really changed between Wednesday and tonight for the most part. I mean, it's still the same players. It's still the same scheme. How difficult is it to beat a team like that once again? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously hard. You beat a team one team. You look at a playoff series, you beat somebody once, and then the other team makes adjustments. I think we saw this a lot last year with the COVID influence schedule where we've had a lot of teams where it was you play the same team twice in the same city on back-to-back days or two games and three games, two games and three days in Philadelphia. So I think James Borrego actually kind of enjoyed it. He said it was like kind of like a little mini series in a way. First game happens and you kind of make your reaction or you make your adjustments and you come back for the second. So I think he actually kind of enjoys the chess match a little bit. I and mean, it's funny you say that about the, the thing you brought up about the, the Wizards. I'll actually take it a step further. Their six-game stretch, they went Pelicans, Hornets, Heat, Heat. 
Hornets Pelicans. I put that out on Twitter the other day, and someone gave me the correct term for the palindrome of schedules and six-game size there. So they're seeing a lot of the same teams the same three teams in a six-game stretch. So very even more interesting dynamic here from the Wizards. But I don't think you can necessarily worry about, you know, we just played them Wednesday. I mean, you got to kind of take everything one game at a time, use what you did well on Wednesday, try and do it again. And, you know, the Wizards are going to kind of do the same thing. What didn't we do well? We're going to try and shore up that area. So I think it's going to be a really good one tonight. After the loss on Saturday, here's what Cody Martin had to say about getting back on track tonight in Washington. I mean, I think for us, nobody's hanging our heads. I think that we knew, you know, the the things that we needed to fix from the jump. And unfortunately, it didn't go our way. But, you know, that's a learning experience for us and our team. And we're continuing to move forward and, and staying positive and you know, nobody was hanging their heads. We know what we needed to fix. And, you know, understanding that we could have folded coming off a of back-to-back and whatever the case is, but we didn't. We kept fighting. We stayed aggressive. Like I said before, they hit shots when they needed shots. It's just how the game goes sometimes. So it's about learning from that experience and figuring out things to adjust on the fly so that we have better starts and better finishes. Sam, I guess the reason that you were able to come up with that thought was because, well, you asked that question to Cody on Saturday, but at the same time, I think you kind of covered the same ground that you just did. But as we take one final look at this matchup tonight, of course, 7 o'clock here on the Hornets Radio Network or online on the Hornets mobile app as well as where you can listen to, of course, Bally Sports Southeast will have it for you. Give me one specific player, one specific stat line that you're looking for. I already, I know you already mentioned the the play at center, but is there anything else that really stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's you know kind of going back to that Hawks game. I mean, I think you kind of chalk it up a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of energy on Friday night. You travel in second game on a back to back on the road. Hawks have been off for three days, so I think you there was a lot of good that came out of that game in terms of. You know, I know it's a silver linings, if you will. It's not a silver linings version of the podcast, but I'm looking at Terry Rogier. I think he kind of a slow start to that that Hawks game, finished four of 13 for 10 points. I thought he hit a couple big buckets there in the fourth quarter against the Hawks to get the Hornets within striking distance there at the end. But he's going to have a big matchup against Brad Beal, who I think has also had a slow start to the season. It's only a matter of time before those two guys really start heating up. So I'm looking at that two guard spot as being kind of a, I guess, pivotal position. I think, you know, I think going back to the first one, and Terry had 19 against the Wizards last week. Yeah, so and hit a bunch of big shots in the fourth quarter. So I'm looking right there. Terry Rozier and Brad Beal for sure. The fun in the DMV gets started at 7 o'clock here on the Hornets Radio Network. 6 o'clock airtime on our flagship station, Sports Radio FNZ, for the pregame coverage. And you can check out the preview of this one at Hornets.com. And you can check out the recap of this one as well, writing-wise, at Hornets.com by the one and only Sam Purley. And Sam, thank you as always for joining me today on the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you. And go Hornets. Everybody enjoy the game tonight. And let's hopefully get a win. And thanks to all of you for checking out today day's edition of the HHC as well. We'll have a recap of this one tomorrow for you. Myself and Diana Biffle of Hornet Social Media will be breaking this one down here tomorrow wherever you get your podcasts. So, for Sam Purley, I'm Rob Longo saying so long and we'll see you on tomorrow's edition of the HHC. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit hornets.com.